Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about three different positional battles to look out for during Thunder preseason and I'm also going to be giving my thoughts on the initial overreactions of some sorts that we saw from Monday's game and whether or not you should put much stock into any of them. And then obviously, like always guys, I'm going to get you guys a really great deal from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. But first, I want to talk about three different positional battles to be looking out for. As we all know, there is 20 different people or there are 20 different people on this Thunder roster. We saw 15 of them play on Monday. Now, do I think the five that were out could play some of them definitely Vit Crunchy, Derek Favors they both are going to play if they're available at some point Rob Edwards and DJ Wilson those are more wild cards and then you get to the final spear there um, and it's also kind of a bit of a toss-up so we'll see who gets to play I think the Thunder did a very good job rotationally but there are some battles that maybe don't seem like a problem right now, but as soon as we jump into regular season action, it's going to be at the forefront of discussions, and they might want to tackle these right now while they can. So they're already down one out of four games, three games to go. You could figure out a lot about this lineup and just who should be playing the big minutes when you get to the big stage. So the first one I want to talk about is a starting gig. I've had a pod on here where I've mentioned... You know, should Josh Giddy start? I think we know the answer now. Josh Giddy is going to be a starter or else, you know, they're crazy. You know, he starts as a starting shooting guard next to SGA, pretty much played perfectly. You're not going to downgrade him past that point. I think you kind of established that he was going to be your guy in doing so that early on. If you swap him out for Teo, that's wild. But I think it's going to be SGA, Giddy. You're going to have Dort at that three spot. At the five, you might see Favors or Roby. I'm not sure if that's really a positional battle that will be covered in the preseason. That's more of maybe Roby plays insane, so he gets the gig. If not, Favors, he's going to be that trusty, maybe Al Horford type for the first 20 games. Then you might delegate him to a bench role. But the one that could be kind of flipped and flopped around from day one is at the power forward spot. Currently, Darius Baisley is your starting four, and he was the starting four last season. He was the starting four in the preseason game that we saw on Monday. But Alexei Pokusevsky is just that intriguing piece that has been knocking on that door for not just a couple months during the you know the summer, but during the actual regular season, people were vying for him to get a full-time starting gig. Seven-footer, 19 years old he turns 20 at the back end of December he barely made the cut for last year's NBA draft and for Darius Baisley he's also 20 pretty damn young not seven feet doesn't have a seven foot three wingspan but he does have an interesting skill set and so does Alexei Pokusevsky and when you want to break this down I think first you want to look at Darius Baisley because that's the person you know that Poku would have to be jumping it's not the other way around here and with Bays. His numbers on paper were not terrible last year. He averaged 13.7 points, 7.2 rebounds, and 1.8 assists. But when you start delving a bit more into these numbers, he shot 47% overall and 29% on threes. Now, 47% overall, 
That's not terrible. Dort, for example, shot 43%. So a lot of those around the basket shots for Bays were going in. But the big thing, if he's playing at the four, he was being utilized as a stretch four. You want to pace in space, get SGA a nice high ball screen, and then you can get the offense rolling. Bays was supposed to be the guy who could make things a bit more fluid in that first line, but he just wasn't converting at a rate that he probably should have been. You got to be going at least like 31, 32%. Just to appease me a bit, Dort shot 34% overall, and that was like a home run swing. So a bit of an upgrade from Bayes there. I don't think there'd be many problems offensively, but he shot 29% on over five tries a night, meaning he was out there looking for shots. He'd get them Sometimes he'd pass, sometimes he'd actually take the jumpers, but there looked to be a consistency issue and just a confidence issue when you looked at him last season. With that being said, though, he's still 20 years old. There is so much potential here, and I don't think you can chalk him up as a non-shooter at this point because in his rookie campaign, he just burst in the bubble. I mean, he was shooting mid-30s from downtown. He would slash inside, create for himself, really anywhere he wanted to. And then to top it all off, he was dishing it out to the three mid-range. Didn't matter. He was kind of that secondary ball handler off the bench that no one really expected. And he was supposed to be that secondary ball handler last year, but it just never worked out. And the reason why is because the three-point shot never developed for him. I truthfully believe if Baisley was rolling from downtown, you would have seen a lot more closeouts on him last season. With those closeouts, he's a lot faster than your traditional four. He can get a step or two, and that is all he needs to work with because he's very explosive around the basket. We have seen that. And if he gets that angle, then he's drawing in other defenders and he's making plays happen. We didn't get to see that part of his game near enough last year, and I think that's what we need to see from him again. The three-point shot is the root of probably everything for him, though. It's something that has been stressed, not just on this podcast, but pretty much universally. And I don't think we're going to see that sort of jump, maybe that a Zion would. And I'm not comparing, I really can't compare anybody to Zion, but just a Giannis or a Zion type where they don't actually have to be that crazy from downtown to be effective. Baze is not like that. I think that his inside game is amazing, but it's not going to be the overbearing part of his game. He's going to have that three-level scoring ability that pushes the inside game into real prominence. So right now, he does have a good set of skills. I think when you look at him, he's still that point forward that we expected him to be. The problem is, though, if he wants to grow into somebody who is going to be a threat on a night-to-night basis, there's going to be consistency there. He's going to have to get the shot down, and I know he's been working on it. He didn't have a great opener. He shot 0 of 3 from distance. He looked like he was trying to take those jumpers when they were open. He was wide open a lot in that game, Um, but, you know, As long as he starts getting those mid-30s, I think there's not an issue there, and I don't think there'd really be that many people too upset if he were to be the starter at the power forward spot. But the competition in Alexei Pokushevsky, it's no joke. Like, when Poku first came in, everybody was almost against him because he started out kind of like what Bays was doing, like where he was passing on wide-open shots, he was missing a lot of shots. Poku's first like five, six games, I don't believe he made a three-point shot because when he did make one, it was a sigh of relief. 
obviously number one but then number two like they had a counter they had the graphic ready for when poku made a three-point shot and it might have been like his 19th attempt 18th 19th it was not a very good percentage and it took a while for poku to kind of revive that percentage point there and he ended up shooting overall 28 percent from three that's worse than Darius Baisley shooting 4.6 tries a night you kind of want to dissect his game a little bit more though because as we talked about there were two kind of halves to Poku's rookie season there was that first half where he was missing shots he didn't really have the confidence and he was making a lot of turnovers but then he went to the G League bubble and once he got out of there he was a changed player you'd see a lot more refined skills from him you'd see that post game where he'd almost wrap his arms around people just to get shots off you'd see the three-pointer going in and the passes too he had a lot of beautiful passes to Moses Brown in Orlando he transferred that over and there were still some turnovers but it was not as much in comparison so he was a changed man when you check out his overall palette from last season he averaged 8.2 points 4.7 rebounds 2.2 assists 2.2 turnovers and shot 28 percent from three like i mentioned but i think the big part is whenever you hone in on the post all-star break games 28 games he played after the all-star break averaged 11.1 points 5.4 rebounds 2.7 assists and shot 32 percent from three taking 5.4 tries a night and it was still up and down for poku like there were games he's shooting four of 13 just not looking like himself but there were the other ones like the season finale for example where he's drumming out 27 29 points in step back jumpers just making shots that honestly it's pretty hard to defend because of how just lengthy he is as a player and it also moves on to that defensive side so people look at Poku they look at some of those standout games that he had that maybe Baisley didn't have as many of last year but they look at those ones from Poku and say you know he might have a bit more potential than a Darius Baisley might have so hey let's put him next to SGA let's put him next to Josh Giddy. this is a seven foot playmaker loves passing the ball he can play at the perimeter you want to see what he can do and put him on that big stage and I don't blame him I think that either way Poku's going to be in a good situation because with the starters yes he's going to be getting those major reps with the big guys will that make his development probably rocket up a bit for sure but also this is something that Mark Dagnall talked about during training camp interviews you know, Poku starting off the bench really gives him the keys that he would not find in that starting unit because you already have SGA. Let's say that Giddy is going to be that starter. Well, that kind of takes you out of number one and number two when it comes to ball handlers. Who's after that? You might want to say Baisley in that starting unit. You swap out Poku. Sure, Poku's the third ball handler. That's not what the G League was for. Whenever he was in the G League, he was one of the primary ball handlers. I think on a bench unit, you'd still want to keep him at least at number two. And there are some very good ball handlers past SGA and past Josh Giddy, as I'm going to talk about. You have Teo. You have Ty. Hell, you might even have Trey Mann there. So he'd be passing it off every once in a while. But offensively, if you want to make it a focal point that he gets to develop and there are going to be some ups and downs, you probably do want to put him on that bench unit. So there are going to be pros and cons to both sides here. 
I think that for what the starting unit is looking for right now, a Baisley might work a bit better. He needs to get that shot down though. And if he does not, this is a very pivotal season for him. Then you might see Poku take over that spot. Maybe mid-season past that, it gets a little bit murky, but we'll have to see. I think both of them though, they still have a lot of potential. And even if they have those bad games, you can never count them out because they do have... Um, some styles that you're just not going to find anywhere else outside of Bricktown. Past that, though, we're going to move on to the guards that I mentioned. Teo Maladone, Ty Jerome, and Trey Mann. And this was going to be a story that honestly could have been four different people because we didn't think Josh Giddy was going to be that starter. It was kind of just chatter. We didn't have the announcement until really the day of that Giddy was going to be that number one guy. But... I think when you do that, when you decide to put Giddy there at number one, I talked about it uh, a second ago here, but that's kind of telling you that they fully entrust him. And he's the number five pick on a rebuilding team. He should be entrusted with a major portion of the team. But I wouldn't have, you know, been against maybe Teo starting at the two, just having that traditional starting unit from last season and letting Giddy dominate in that six man role. And it'd probably be like that for this game too. And then you look at overtaking uh, Teo in the depth chart, but they just right away gave him the keys and he was the number one player on the court Monday night. That's not really up for discussion. So it worked out. Uh, and with that, it's pretty much a guarantee that Josh Giddy is going to stick around at that spot. So now you're looking at a bench rotation that is just filled to the brim with talent. And the Thunder, they really haven't been in a situation where depth is a problem actually you know what normally it's an issue because they just don't have any you got guys like terrence ferguson taking starting minutes if not he's the sixth man maybe a Breenes too like specifically when it comes to wings they've had a pretty terrible history when it comes to making sure they're loaded and now they just have too many guys and they're all young most of them are going to be on their rookie scale contracts and all three that i'm talking about are on their rookie scale contracts. So they have trade value, but also you're rebuilding here. So you want to hold on to them and see where they develop to. They got to figure out who's going to play where though in this depth chart, because the starting unit has really been gated off from all three of them. And I want to start out uh, with Teo Maladon here because Teo, he was the number one guy in minutes with the Thunder last season. He started out as just a very impressive preseason guy playing with Isaiah Roby in the pick and roll sets, moved on, had a bench roll with the team, and then you saw George Hill go down with that thumb injury, and he just never looked back. He started uh, with the team, and then you had SGA with this plantar fascia issue. He was the number one guy in that guard spot, and yeah, like I said, at the end, led everybody. He played 65 games, 49 of those were starts for him, and he had pretty good averages. He put up 10.1 points, 3.2 rebounds, and 3.5 assists, and when it came to turnovers, it really was not all that bad for him, and when you want to delve a little bit deeper into these stats, he was a good three-point shooter. Shot 33.5% from distance, taking 4.8 tries a game, 
at is kind of where you want to be at, especially if you're trying to play off ball with a guy like SGA, which he did before SGA went down. And even a lot of these threes came off of self-creation skills. So he was doing a lot for a 34th pick in a draft. Granted, you know, he turned 20 over the offseason. This man is extremely young and he should have that sort of potential. So even though he led the team in minutes and even though he wasn't necessarily bad, efficiency-wise, he was. He had very good moments, though. We know he's going to have a bit of a shave when it comes to his place in the rotation. And I really like him as a player. I've made that kind of clear. Like, this was the number one guy. It was either him or Frank Jackson when it came to the biggest surprise from last year's preseason, but I'd give it to him because Teo's still on the rotation. I mean, he can gun off passes from anywhere. I didn't think he was the type of shooter that he actually is before he became the number one guard. He was dominant when it came to catch and shoots. SGA would get him up with shots. He was shooting like 48% in January, late January, on those catch and shoots before uh, they eventually slipped down back to maybe a more um, assumed stat line or what we would expect from a guy like Teo. But he's very impressive, and so is Ty Jerome. And Ty Jerome, he's a bit different with Teo. It was kind of smooth sailing, just gradual progression throughout the year. Ty was not like that at all. He was someone that I didn't even know if he would stick around past training camp because Frank Jackson was so dominant. They decided to keep Ty Jerome. That was something that was a bit controversial at the time because, you know, he didn't play. He wasn't that amazing with Phoenix, whether it was the G League or the actual NBA ranks. He wasn't that great. Uh, And even though he was a first-round pick, I mean, you had Frank Jackson who was averaging 13-plus a game over four games. So they had that scoring option, but they bet on Ty, and you didn't really get to see the actual results and the benefits from that until you saw him in Orlando. So he started out playing with the OKC Blue. He wasn't the number one guy. That obviously went to Moses Brown, Omer Yurt 7. Uh, it was definitely a front court oriented game that Grant Gibbs was uh, having down there. But Ty Jerome, he still found a place. He was very good at making those entry passes. We saw some limitless threes from him, not as much as we saw when he joined the Thunder, of course, but just showed a bit of everything to the point that when he got recalled, I mean, he was geared up and ready to go. He actually played better uh, with the Thunder than I think he did with the Blue. I don't know why exactly that is, maybe because the pace of the game, didn't have to worry about the big guys always being around, but he was great. So he had that 15-point game. It was either in his debut or his second game. Uh, and then he just kept dropping double digits. He finished the season averaging 10.7 points, 2.8 rebounds, and 3.6 assists across 24 minutes a game. So he was really, really effective. And then from three, he was like the guy to end last season. As we all know, 42% from three on over five attempts a game. So he was legitimate. I'd say when you compare the end of seasons, Ty might have overtaken Teo there, but I think they're kind of on equal footing, uh, and that would be fine. I mean, the four-guard rotation is great. I think even though there's 10 different guards on this Thunder roster, you can move some of them to small forward, and then for others like maybe Vic Kredge or Rob Edwards, 
I think it's expected both of them start out with the blue, so you can kind of take them out of the list if you want to. But a four-guard rotation would be great for these guys. The thing is, and it's not really an issue, um, but Trey Mann got selected at pick 18. That's a very valuable selection, and he kind of fits the bill for what we have going on or what the Thunder have going on in their system currently and that's just having those combo guards who can pass the ball who can shoot the ball and can penetrate at will i talked a lot about trey man in the last episode i mentioned him as one of the surprise guys who might emerge during the summer league because at his time with the florida gators there was a seven game stretch he averaged what 20.7 points had four consecutive 20 point outings not the 30 point game he played it was ridiculous. He could score points out of nowhere, and he led the team with 16 points last season while also chipping in 5.6 rebounds and 3.5 and assists. So he was legitimate. I mean, before that, his rookie or his freshman season was not that glamorous, so the major jump uh, would make you think that, hey, he might actually make that type of jump when he joins the NBA level. Uh, right now, he has not done that. The summer league was not great. Those two games he played, he shot a lot uh, efficiency-wise. It was not there. Shot 24.1% and then shot one of seven in Monday's contest. But I still think there's a lot of room uh, for Trey Mann to tap into. Three more games. We know how he is. If you've checked his kind of history with the Gators, having a couple bad games tossed in there is to be expected. But he can go off get 20 points and then there's an actual conversation again where hey do we want to put Trey Mann up next to Teo and Ty and if that's the case who's the odd man out out of Teo and Ty because I think we know right now that both Teo Maladone and Ty Jerome are gonna be really integral bench pieces wherever they go doesn't matter the franchise it's gonna translate because in Ty's case he's a really good shooter on or off the ball but he's also one of the smartest passers in the league and you would not expect that because he's not really fast the athleticism is never something you're putting on a scouting report but he moves so slow whenever he's surveying the half court he assesses everything perfectly and he's not going to be making those dumb decisions you might see from some other maybe inexperienced guys Ty Jerome he's a well-seasoned player at this point and I think every franchise will be chomping at the bit to get him if he were to become available and the same goes for Teo I mean he's 20 this is a project piece that honestly has not looked like much of a project at this point it seems like he's gotten things figured out just like Ty Jerome he's making plays that make him look like he's 28 29 30 years old so you want to keep him but you have Trey Mann here who he doesn't have that resume you don't know if he's just going to be an integral bench member he could be a straight up sniper he could be a starting caliber guy so you just want to uncover him first I think before you make that big decision and hell, I mean, he was shooting above 40% with Florida. The step back was major. He looks like a mini SGA when you look at his college tape. Hasn't looked like that yet, but if he's able to look like that in a game or two, it's it's going to be real. I'll, I'll put it that way. Everyone will be talking about Trey Mann and what his future holds with the Thunder. But going beyond the guards, I want to go to the front court again, and I want to talk about Mamadi 
Diakite. And with him, his story is pretty interesting. So with Diakite, he joined the Thunder off of a waiver claim. I talked about it two, three weeks ago, and now he's on the training camp roster. He's this priority guy, just like Frank Jackson was last season. You're going to give him a partial guarantee. I think in his case right now, he's making 100 k through the Thunder right now. It inflates to 500 k if he's there by mid-December. I think if you're going to make a move, though, it's going to be in the now as opposed to anytime in December. But Here's the thing. I mean, he's a 24-year-old who has shown a decent bit of promise across the G League with the Lakeland Magic and then with the Milwaukee Bucks. They didn't want him. The Thunder scooped him up with that claim, which is pretty telling and pretty big because, you know, you're not throwing around your waiver claims all that often. So they must have seen something in him. Um, But with Diakite, he's dealing with kind of some issues because if he wants to make this roster... There are a lot of hoops to go through because this isn't like last season where you had some players that, you know, were a little bit uncertain. Like, as we know now, I don't think the Thunder intended on waiving these types of players, but let's say like a Ty Jerome or an Isaiah Roby, for example. I think Isaiah Roby was a favorite to actually get cut last year. Everybody thought Roby was gone, uh, and he had that impressive preseason. People still believed he could be on his way out. He stayed, and that turned out fine. Other guys, Justin Jackson, for example, whenever he came on, he did not have a good preseason at all. He still stuck around somehow. I think when you check things out currently... You're going to have a much better perspective on what the future outlook with the Thunder is. And in Diakite's case, it's probably not that good because a lot of guys have already cemented themselves and put themselves in a position to be there for the 15-man roster. Because the only guy who stuck out like a sore thumb, in my opinion, was Charlie Brown Jr. Now, with Charlie Brown Jr., I mean... I guess, granted, he didn't have the best opportunities just given the circumstances with the team, but he didn't have those breakout games, and in Summer League, it looked pretty obvious he was not one of the top five guys out there currently on the team, so when you're a Summer League guy and you're on the 15-man roster, you're supposed to be the star. That was just not it for him, so with him getting waived, it made a lot of sense, but since uh, Diakite was the guy that slipped in there, you know, you didn't have any more wiggle room, and I think if he's going to find a way onto this roster, it's not actually through beating out another front court guy. It's through beating out just people who might slip down the depth chart, and it's still going to be a really big uphill battle for him. So with Diakite, I mean, he's in a spot where I think he's more of a true center. That's what he played at the G League level. That's what he played in the NBA. I think with Virginia, uh, for the most part, he was playing at the five. So that's where he's going to be at. He's 6'8", so he is a bit more uh, of a smaller guy. But he's not like the Swiss Army Knives you're going to find on this team. He's not like an Isaiah Roby or a Jeremiah Robinson Earl where... Their actual calling card might be the three or the four, but they'll slip up to the five uh, when push comes to shove and they actually have to. Uh, When you take out those Swiss Army Knives that might even extend to a Poku or a Baze if you want to, it's more or less just Mike Muscala and Derek Favors. And I don't think you're going to get rid of Mike Muscala because you brought him back on a two-year, $7 million contract. He could have been gone, and I think they would have just mutually parted ways. But he wanted to be here. He's like the new Nick Collison, damn near. That's how that's how much he cares. Because the Thunder, they're not looking to contend. He knows that. He passed on leaving during the 
uh, deadline last year, and then he passed again during the summer, so you're not going to move him. He's an untouchable. He's more of a teacher, even if he doesn't play. Derek Favors might be a bit different, but yeah, with Diakite, he's got to play like Isaiah Roby did last year, where he's out there setting just beautiful high ball screens, has to be able to pick and pop, stretch the floor out a bit, and then just run inside, get some dunks down. It's got to be exactly what he did uh, really for the Lakeland Magic. And if you don't know, he averaged like 18 and a half points and 11 or 12 rebounds there. He was one of the top centers in the G League. Um, but yeah, it's hard because he's not really built like a traditional center since he's six foot eight. He does have some wingspan and he does have some very good verticality to go up there and block some shots. We saw that in game number one. But I think it's still got to be a lot of proving points for him. Uh, really, you look at that even more so because the president, Frank Jackson, set because he still didn't make the roster and he played about as good as possible uh, given those conditions. So if Daikite impresses enough, he has that home run series. The two guys that I think are at the bottom of the ladder right now are not really at the bottom of the ladder at all. Gabrielle Deck would have been the number one pick, but he made it clear he didn't want to leave. He's sticking around with this team, and through one game of preseason play, he, he doesn't really look like he's out of place. I mean, he looked out of place in his 10 games with the Thunder. Now, was he still posting some good numbers? Of course he was, but when you were thinking playoff time, contending time, Gabrielle Deck, his just like super slow motion play, trying to post up shooting guards and small forwards, it just didn't bode well with what the Thunder were doing at the time, but we didn't see a lot of post play from him. He actually hid in the shadows for most of game one, but he was still a really good positive impact because he was going out there. He was making those extra passes when the ball went his way, and I mean, he was still being a pretty useful body when it came uh, to the defensive side. He's six foot eight, 240 pounds. He was guarding two, three positions out there that I counted on Monday evening, so you probably do want to keep him with the current like second unit you have going out there, I think he would work. Uh, maybe would he work with Poku? We'll see. He looked fine with Teo. He looked fine with Ty Jerome. And even when Josh Giddy was out there, I think that's the big one when he was working with the second unit. You saw that, you know, Deck wasn't that bad of a detriment. It wasn't like people were just completely sagging off on him. Granted, I think midseason people will start doing that and they'll start testing him again. But he looked fine. And I think if you're going to keep him around, they had a golden opportunity to dump him off because it was a non-guaranteed deal. But they decided to keep him. And now Gabrielle Deck is in the payroll for three, like what, $0.8 million, even if he gets waived tomorrow. So... There's a bit of money attached, and I know they, they're fine dumping off money, but I don't know if they'd want to do it with Gabrielle Deck, and I don't think they'd want to do it with Derek Favors either. That's the second guy I was thinking of, just because he's kind of in that same line of guys from last year, the Darius Millers, the Trevor Arizas, where they go in, they play a little bit, and the end goal is the same thing you just end up getting waived. And Trevor Ariza never showed up. I'd say the more expensive one probably is Kemba Walker there too. Darius Miller, he played a bit. 
Um, but the job there, and if Kemba was around, the job would be just mentorship, making sure SGA knows what to do, making sure the guys in their set position are kind of on that good progression line heading on into the future. And then after, what, four or five months of work, they get waived by the franchise kind of as a courtesy for their services. And hey, they can go contend for a title. I think that's what Derek Favors' uh, job is going to be if he sticks around because you know, he is aging a bit, 30 years old. He's a productive bench player on a contending team. I think he'd do a decent job even starting for the Thunder, playing like 24, 26 minutes a night. We'll see where he actually is. But this isn't like maybe a Darius Miller or something where, yeah, I mean, he's a vet. He's going to aid some uh, help, but on the court, he's not going to give you much of a positive here. Darius Miller wasn't a big positive. I will say, I think Derek Favors is going to be one, and he might be the best true center that the Thunder actually have on this team. So I don't think you'd let go of him. I do like uh, Diakite a lot. Uh, It's just going to be very difficult. So I'm rooting for him. I hope he gets more than like seven minutes because that's what he got in game number one. Uh, Because if that's the case, we're going to get to see a bigger scale and we're going to see his actual array of talents outside of uh, a couple good drives that he might have had on Monday. Uh, But before I get into actually talking a bit more on Monday's action, I want to tell you guys a little bit about the deal going on at my good friends DraftKings Sportsbook. Hockey is back and DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. Here's all you have to do to get this offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net. Nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or if in Indiana... Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. But guys, moving right along to the next segment here, I just want to talk about a little bit of the preseason overreactions we've already gotten here. So we have four games. There's four games on slate for the Thunder. We already saw the first one. Pretty lopsided victory going in the Hornets' way. There were some pushes there, and there were some star players that broke through. If you guys want to listen to the full play-by-play breakdown, in addition to the box score recap, you guys can listen to my podcast from Tuesday. But I'm just going to be talking about a couple of stories that have 
kind of came out of nowhere regarding some of the new guys and maybe not some of the new guys. I just picked out four different people who I've heard a lot about since Monday night, the stories that have been surrounding them and whether I buy into the stock that I'm hearing. And I think the number one person has to be Josh Giddy. He goes into this game, really, I don't even know what the expectations for him were. I'll tell you what though, when he got drafted at number five, there were not really good hopes People were upset that it was not James Booknight. People wanted it to be Jonathan Kuminga. For my case, I really like Jonathan Kuminga in this draft process. But Josh Giddy comes in, leads the team in scoring, pretty much leads the game. I think, you know, if you're giving player of the game honors to somebody, you either give it to Josh Giddy or you give it to James Booknight. Booknight had 20 points in 20 minutes. And Josh Giddy had 18 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists, playing 29 minutes. He was all over the place in this game. He was doing everything he needed to. And because of it, people are calling him, and they're pretty much saying, hey, he is the next guy in line. And I saw a uh, Twitter poll from Brandon Rabar, I believe, the day of, or maybe it was the day after. But he said, if you had the 5th pick, you're going up to the podium, who are you taking? And you have just... The common list of names right there. You had Josh Giddy, you had Kuminga, you had James Booknight. I'm not even sure who the next guy was uh, on that list, but it was overwhelmingly Josh Giddy. Everyone has bought into Giddy at this point, and all it took was that one major game. And my little overreaction, I don't know if I want to call it one. I consider myself a little bit more conservative when it comes to making these early takes. Now, I do have hot takes in there. I don't think this is one by any means, though. He looks a lot faster than I actually thought. I thought during Summer League, he would be a little bit more sluggish, and he did look sluggish, but you got to keep in mind, this dude had one healthy possession before his ankle was just inflated like a balloon, so he had a weight down there, and he was still moving around a bit, fighting through all the pain. He goes in here, has a full game where he's not injured, goes 8 of 12, and You know, he was actually able to get into the interior. That's where he got five out of his eight shots off of push shots and layups. And I didn't see that happening at all. I thought that if he were to score a lot of them, if they did go inside, would have to come off of screens. He didn't have to do that every single time necessarily. And I thought that um, maybe scoring wouldn't have been his number one option. I thought for this game and for the preseason, he would be a strict passer. You might see him eclipse 10, uh, 12 points a couple times, but I didn't think he'd get 18 right out the gate. So he just completely uh, blew past my expectations, which is a very sweet surprise. Looks like uh, it did the same for most, but yeah, people saw that speed. People saw some of those passes, and I'll tell you what, this is something that Teo did last year, and I praised it. I think it's legitimate. Teo was an elite passer in his class last year. That was my hot take. Josh Giddy is an elite passer in this class. It's not a hot take because guess what? We saw it already. That was his entire real, that was like, that was his scouting report, to be honest. I mean, it was just the razzle-dazzle passes he was making in Australia. He goes in for 29 minutes. He has like five of those where he's running in, throws a left-handed over, like overhead Pass, just straight bullet over to the corner. Shot didn't go in, didn't matter. Couple plays later, you see the same thing. Dribble drive, overhead dot to the corner, also did not go in. But he was just doing everything. He saw the court insanely well. And you have to keep in mind that, I mean, this is pretty much Pokashevsky V2. When you're looking at Poku, when he got drafted, he was 18 and he turned 19 back into December. With Giddy, he's, you know, his birthday's not December. Like, 
that would be ridiculous if it was. His birthday is in the middle of uh, October. I actually think his birthday is like in two days, maybe. So he'll be 19 probably for the next preseason game. But anyways, that still makes him the the second youngest guy in the NBA. Like the only other guy that is younger than him is Joshua Primo. He was the I think 11th pick or whatever, wherever the Spurs were. I always get confused. I think the Hornets were 11, but right after that, the Spurs were somewhere in the mix there. He turns uh, 19 at the back end of December, but I'll tell you what, you know, there is a major difference between Primo and Josh Giddy right now. And Primo, he has shown a lot of skills already. You know, the uh, first preseason game for the Spurs, he did show out. I'd take Giddy over him any day of the week, though. He looks so great and a lot of people think hey off that one game him shooting two or four he's instantly gonna fit next to SGA I think the fit is gonna probably be a work in progress but if he does get that off ball shooting ability there and he is a good catch and shoot piece then yeah he is gonna work I think it's gonna be some ups and downs though because you gotta keep in mind a lot of those three balls kind of came uncontested and he was just wide open there but we'll see what happens with him in their next contest but moving along I want to talk about another rookie in Aaron Wiggins. When you look at Aaron Wiggins, I mean, first off, he had a very good summer league, averaged 11.2 points, I believe. And then in the last game, he had 12 points in a matter of seven minutes. Ridiculous in comparison to the remainder of the team because no one was out there scoring like Wiggins quite was. There was no microwave and you know you can say all you want because Wiggins was playing really just garbage time no one was out there there wasn't really a game on the line at that point but he was still fighting and I think he made an absolute statement went four of five went three of three from downtown and a lot of people are just vying for him to have a bigger spot and I completely agree with it it's not like Giddy where you're already throwing star comparisons out the window or into the conversation which I am totally for uh, don't get it twisted on that one, but you know people are saying Wiggins off that one game should be getting integral minutes, and then also on top of that too, he should just have his contract upgraded. You know, even if he does deserve his contract being upgraded, you have to keep in mind here this is a business thing, and if he is balling out in the G League, if he is balling out with the Thunder, you're probably not going to upgrade that contract until you have to. They did that with Lou Dort. I think Lou Dort's upgrade happened during the little resting period between the Gobert incident and the actual bubble. And then with Moses Brown, I mean, we saw when he was out there, you could have popped him right out of the G League play, given him an upgraded contract, and he would have been good to go. But they waited until he completed um, the play over there. And then also he had a couple games before they decided to upgrade him to that four-year contract. And then obviously uh, transition that two-way on a Jalen Horde. But it's kind of the same situation where no matter how good they are, this two-way deal is so beneficial to whoever possesses it. Like the Thunder have 17 main players pretty much because uh, when you look at Paul Watson Jr. and you look at what Aaron Wiggins might bring to the table, yeah, it says a two-way contract, but they can play 50 games with the OKC Thunder and there are no limitations when it comes to how often they can practice. The only hindrance that might come up, and it's not going to come up this year, 
is if they're in the playoffs, they're not eligible. But I don't think the Thunder are in a position to make the play-ins. They're mocked to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. And even if they are statistics-wise and standings-wise, they have probably one of the most fun teams in the NBA. And the development we're going to see here is bar none in comparison to the other 29 franchises you're going to find uh, throughout the regular season. So it'll be great. I think Wiggins will get that spark with the blue, and he probably can come up and play with the Thunder. I mentioned it in the recap, but this is a guy who has looked pretty solid as a shooter. He looked a lot towards the interior during summer league play. I don't know if that's going to work at the NBA ranks, uh, but he does look like a good catch-and-shoot player, knows where he needs to be in space, and then also on the defensive side, looks good. So this is a formidable like bench wing. I think he genuinely be worth an NBA contract, but now is not really the time, I think. Once you go past those two, another rookie was Trey Mann, that one of seven performance. People were not too happy about this one. I think it's just a matter of him getting used to the elements. This might be just an emotion thing, a mental thing. When Trey Mann is on, he is on. He's not going one of seven. You know, a lot of those shots were coming right around the basket, just as they were during Summer League. And as we found out during Summer League, he is not holding back. He wants to create contact. And that's how he got the majority of his points. Went six of six from the foul line. All six of those came right around the basket. So he is ferocious there, but he has to tap into the three-point line to unlock his true potential. So I don't put any stock into uh, the three, I guess, poor performances he's had to this point. I'm just looking on into the future, and I'm really banking on him having a home run game uh, over the next week or so. Same goes with Darius Baisley. People are still down on him, and, you know, there was a reason. His, I guess, sophomore campaign was not the greatest. There were a lot of inconsistencies there, and you'd have one game where he'd break out just to have three or four where he didn't have it. Uh, going down from the perimeter but you can't really judge him at this point it might be based on the rotation he's not really being emphasized in the current lineups right now and should he be I mean he he probably shouldn't be number one or two on the priority list but you still got to keep him in mind got to put him in situations where he does have a good handle on the basketball and maybe even taking it past the timeline could help because I remember there were portions during last season where he took it past the timeline. He'd actually hit some really beautiful like step back mid ranges, even take it to the three sometimes and just open up some options. So maybe we could see more ball handling from him. I think the primary issue, as I addressed with the Poku debate, is he has to unlock the three point shot again. And we'll be able to see that. Same goes with all four and same goes with all 20 potentially guys on this Thunder unit on Sunday. They're going to be taking on the Milwaukee Bucks. I've heard that this game is televised on ESPN. If it is, you guys better get your popcorn ready. We're not going to see a national TV game all of this regular season. So just sit back and enjoy this show. Might not be. That's just what I saw in the promo. I'll get you guys the updates on that in the next episode, and I'll get you guys the recap of that one later on in the week. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.